Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. The mess at Nest, Mars starts to whistle, the Trojan button, in doorbell mania. That puts a conversation with my friend Richard Gunther on this week's Smart Home Show. Hey everyone, this is Mike Wolf. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. It's been a while since I've recorded a podcast. I apologize for the lack of communication and podcasting. And uh, to make no excuses, it's just been busy around here. But I wanted to record one for the weekend. Um, I am going to, in the second half of the podcast, feature a conversation I had with my friend Richard Gunther that we had at South by Southwest. He also published it for his podcast. You can check it out at Home On. But I was just going to do my own introduction with a real quick catch-up on the news around what's happening in smart home. And uh, there's a lot of stuff going on out there. And the first and biggest story that I wanted to cover was what was pretty much the story of the week last week. And it's continued on into this week with the blockbuster piece of, of publishing and journalism from the information, um, which basically had an article that really talked about a huge state of dysfunction at Nest, largely around um, Tony Fidel and what's happened over there for the past year or so. Um, it was an interesting piece, and I didn't have time to write about it then, but as this we went into this week, the news kept coming out. There's an article over at TechCrunch uh, about this kind of this state of uh, dysfunction, but also how Tony Fidel and uh, the former CEO of, of Dropcam uh, had kind of gotten into like a, a public battle, if you will, because Tony, Tony Fidel had largely called out the former team at Dropcam for not really executing how he they weren't as good as he thought they were going to be. So it was basically a public uh, berating, which to me felt a little bit weird. And to Dr Greg Duffy, who's the CEO of Dropcam, <laughs> felt like a personal attack. And so he, Greg Duffy, uh, the CEO of Dropcam, went and wrote a post on Medium, basically re rebutting uh, what Tony had to say. And we can get into that, but first let's kind of go back and review what's going on with Nest. If you've been a listener to the podcast, you know that we've been scratching our heads at the lack of deliverables, lack of product coming out of Nest. Um, seemingly since the acquisition by Google, Google, there hasn't been a whole lot of stuff coming out. Uh, the new Nest Cam came out last year, but that was really a product that was developed largely under Dropcam. Um, and if you stand back and look, uh, they really have kind of plateaued. The report in Recode, that was dated March 30th yesterday, or actually two days ago, talked about how Nest has been under target. They were they hit $340 million for the year, but they were expected to hit half a billion. So they're really kind of running below their expected run rate and their targets for the year. And so you have to ask, what is going on with Nest? Why have they not been able to hit those targets? Well, apparently it looks like the match between Tony Fidel and his managerial style and that of Google is kind of a mismatch. Tony brings a sort of authoritarian style um, one that probably would fit well within Apple, maybe modeled a little bit after the Steve Jobs model. But if you look at the way Google works, and this is something I had known about 
for a while, observing how Andy Rubin, who came in with Android, had worked and how he'd kind of uh, ultimately got a little bit disappointed and upset with um, the way Google was loosely structured and allowed for a lot of internal competition when he was helping with Android TV efforts and all Google's TV efforts. Um, it just, it's just one that probably seemed a little bit weird to, to Tony Fidel. But then you also have to take into consideration that Tony Fidel's management style um, is one that isn't always appreciated by his subordinates. The best case example of this is the Dropcam team that was brought in and very quickly got frustrated with the way he had treated their projects. You know, almost from the get-go, he killed some of the, the efforts they had going. One of the ones that I've run about quite a bit is the, the tabs effort. So Dropcam had this tabs product that was going to be an add-on to their Bluetooth uh, Dropcam that would allow the Dropcam to essentially become a pseudo Bluetooth security uh, system because um, the tabs were basically going to be uh, door sensors, et cetera, that were enabled by Bluetooth. And that was killed. So at the time I thought, well, maybe they, you know, Nest had some sort of security product in the works. And as it turns out, according to the information, they actually did and do, but it still hasn't been released. So two years later, um, after they've been acquired, um, well after Dropcam has been acquired, the rumors are that Nest is also going to release a security product, which isn't all that surprising because as we've been watching the smart home space, we've seen some of these companies try to turn their products into home security systems. One example is SmartThings, which is aligned with Scout to use their home monitoring service and basically create a SmartThings security system. And another example is ADT, which has created its Project Canopy, which is allowing companies like LG to turn their security appliances into monitor home security systems, if you will. So there's definitely uh, a lot of com a lot of companies thinking that maybe there's an intersection between smart home and security, and this goes also into the the large players like Vivint, who actually calls itself a smart home company as much as it calls itself a security company. So it makes sense that Google would want to go into the space, and there's been hints and and little kind of drips and draps coming out that they maybe also be be may also be applying for patents. There was one patent observed last year that I wrote about where Google was looking at neighborhood security, where if there was something that happened in the neighborhood, maybe your home could be alerted. So there's definitely a lot of stuff going on. It looks as if Google's been interested in the space for a while, but they just haven't been able for some reason or, or another come out with a product. And part of it looks like there's been a lot of indecision on the part of Nest and of Tony Fidel about what they want to do. Do they want to hub with this? Do they not want to hub? Um, does it feature a camera? Does it not feature a camera? There's just been a lot of apparent confusion and dysfunction. And at this point, it looks as if Tony Fidel has lost the confidence of Larry Page and the, the top, top management of Google or Alphabet, whatever you want to call it. I still can't stop calling it Google, so we'll just keep calling it Google. And the best evidence of that is the, another piece that was in the information report was that Google was also working on a competitor to the Amazon Echo. And I've written a lot about how Amazon has ran circles around Google and Apple from a strategic standpoint, as Google and Apple have tried to endeavor upon creating these fully fleshed out standards or, or de facto standards uh, and, and frameworks for the smart home. You know, Google really trying to flesh out its, its Android IoT efforts also looking at doing things uh, like the OnHub router. Um, 
but Amazon had this thing, this thing called the Echo, and now they have the Echo Dot, where they've created kind of a phenomenon. And so it does, it does make sense that Google would look at this and say, hey, maybe there's something here. Maybe we should do this because, hey, we have Google voice recognition. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of technology here. Maybe we can apply this as well. So I'm not surprised, but the, but it goes back to the story with Tony Fidel. They basically have not put this project in the hands of Nest. They've kept it out of Tony Fidel's hands. So that looks as if they've lost the confidence of Tony Fidel for this kind of next strategy that they would be building that would incorporate some sort of new product that looks or feels a little bit like the Amazon Echo. Well, to wrap this up, you know, that's kind of the background. I wrote a piece over at Smart Home Weekly, uh, smarthomeweekly.net, my blog about the smart home. And I basically had a few things I think were going to happen that I, I, I kind of speculated about. One was I think that Tony Fidel's time with Google Nest is probably not for too long. The reason I believe that is, well, I just think that Google is probably not a good place to work if you don't have the confidence. And if you're someone who has had the pedigree of Tony Fidel, um, it probably makes sense. At some point, you're going to move on. I also said that Google will probably diversify, and it looks like they're diversifying from their boring white box replacement strategy. Fidel has famously said that one of the things that they are trying to do with Nest is target the boring white boxes in our homes, like thermostats and smoke alarms. Well, those are great boxes to target because I think there's a lot of room for uh, innovation there. But the issue is I think you hit natural limits pretty quickly in those markets because there are only a certain percentage of consumers that are willing to play with electrical wiring until they have the technical expertise. And a lot of those products actually go through professional channels, which are much harder and I guess a higher friction, if you will, uh, to get to the end consumer. If you have a product like the Amazon Echo, there's really no limits. It's really one of these devices that becomes that becomes something that pretty much any consumer can buy and can install. And so you're not really relying on building out complicated channels to market. Now, of course, Google doesn't have the, the benefit of having the number one e-commerce site like, like Amazon, but that doesn't stop it from selling lots of hardware like Chromecast. So I think they can definitely play here. So where it'll go, I think it's going to be interesting six months to watch what happens at Google Nest Alphabet as they sort it out. We'll keep an eye on it for you here on the podcast. There's a few more interesting stories I just want to cover very quickly. One of them is uh, this company called Whistle, the GPS pet tracker, that is one of the, probably the most well-known connected pet products out there, was acquired by none other than the Mars Company. Yes, the Mars Company that's famous for making candy bars, but they also, if you didn't know this, in addition to Snickers and M&M's, actually have a pet care division with some pretty famous brands uh, that you probably have heard of, like Whiskas, uh, Iams, uh, basically a lot of dog food, uh, a lot of other types of things. So it doesn't, I guess, necessarily surprise me that they would be looking at getting into, uh, I guess, pet management as in, in addition to things like pet food. They also own the, the, a pet hospital chain. So one of the things that I've been looking at closely is how food brands, CPG brands, and kind of consumable brands are going to get into the world of IoT. One example uh, in the Smart Kitchen that I talked about before on the Smart Kitchen show was Absolute Vodka doing a deal with the Perfect Company. Perfect Company, as you may know, makes this interesting weight and scale-based drink mixer. Well, they're going to be working with Absolute Vodka. So that's one example. Another example, if you're a pet company, you'd want to get into a GPS-based pet tracker. A lot of people are kind of skeptical. Why would you want a GPS-based pet tracker? By the way, I've uh, tracker. By the way, I've written about this. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but by and large, lost pets are a very reactive type of market. Like if your pet is lost, 
You don't know until it's happened. Uh, this is not something you usually prevent unless you see the dog running out of the yard and you chase it. That's kind of the old world of pet, uh, pet string prevention. Now you can actually put something where you know where your dog is. And if you know if it breaches uh, the, bar the, the barrier around your home, the perimeter, uh, you can actually have an alert on your phone. So I think this is a huge thing. There's a huge amount of pets that go lost or strayed each year in, into the millions. Uh, a large percentage of these are not returned. They either end up uh, in a shelter or they get hit by a car. So I'm a big believer in using technology like this to track your pets. So I, I actually think it's a pretty good, and this is the old guy me, uh, business term, synergistic type of uh, acquisition for Mars. So that was a cool one I thought I'd just mention. Another big story is one that is smart kitchen centric, but I think it's interesting if you're following things like uh, meal delivery services or even Amazon Dash, this idea of intersection between Internet of Things and food and delivery of things to your house. Juicero uh, is a company that's been interesting because they've been this company that has been very secretive. One of these big stealth companies, definitely the biggest stealth company in the food tech space for a long while. It's founded by a guy named Doug Evans who ran a chain of juice bars in his past and has been passionate about fresh pressed juice, about cold pressed juice for a long time. And so he had the secret of startup raised over a hundred million dollars and people were wondering what the heck he's going to do. He's going to create a, a juice presser for the home. Well, they announced it this week. Juicero came out with their technology, uh, their plan, their company. Um, I've been watching them closely because I know of a friend who went over there uh, by the name of Malachi Moynihan. Some of you may remember Malachi from uh, his background with Linksys. He's been one of those guys uh, that uh, was then went over to Amazon to A26 to help them launch the Echo. He actually helped lead on product there. And he went over to Juicero. So naturally, I was curious. I didn't talk about it or write about it because Malky's a friend and Juicero was a stealth company. So I respected that. But now that they come out, I think probably Malky's update is LinkedIn. And we also know that Juicero has a big vision. So the vision for Juicero is this idea where they actually have made a cold press juicer for the home. Really the, probably the first one. You have, you have, you have juicers for the home, but they're the old school ones are very messy and they don't use what are generally these industrial and restaurant strength or, or juice bar strength, uh, cold presses that require a ton of strength and pressure to actually get the juice out. So they created this, this piece of hardware that's actually fairly expensive. It's a $700 machine it may seem like a lot, but they all have to invest a lot of money into also this entire sourcing uh, preparation and delivery ecosystem. Cause not only do they have the presser, uh, Doug Evans company also has, has uh, a huge facility in California that preps all these different juices by cutting up the fruit, putting it into these little packs or pods that you actually get a subscription service to. If you have a juicero machine, so you get on a subscription, uh, you have them sent to your house, and they're in these little packs or pods, and then you use the cold press to make fresh juice. And so I guess you could call it like a Keurig for juice. It's probably the closest thing that we've seen, um, but it's one of these ideas where it ties together a piece of hardware, uh, your smartphone, because you can have an app with this as well, um, has some QR code scanning involved in it, and uh it's just a, a big vision, if you will. Um, so I had a chance to talk with Doug yesterday. I'm actually going to be pushing that conversation out over at the Smart Kitchen Show. So if you want to hear kind of firsthand what Doug has to say, check that out there as well. But I thought that was a big story worthy of mentioning. Speaking of connected devices in the home that allow you to order, 
the next big story, or I don't know if it's a big story at this point, was Amazon basically expanded the number of products that they're doing with their Amazon Dash button. Um, of course, all the bloggers had to have a field day with the fact that they now have Trojan condoms that you can order with the button. So there's now the Trojan button. But I was thinking about this, and I don't know if this is as big a story over and over as they just expand the list of companies. I mean, I think if you look at the Dash button, it's really kind of the CPG-centric and CPG-facing thing. It's for brands that want to have a very focused, singular button that they can gather great data for and create some sort of relationship through smart home technology and IoT technology with the consumer. Um, that's pretty interesting. You have the Amazon Dash Services, which is really more of the appliance-facing uh, technology and effort where they're working with appliance makers to build it in. But these are interesting efforts, both of them. But as they just add to the list, I think it becomes uh, part of the bigger and bigger story. I don't know if it's worthy of like a thousand blog posts. Like I think I saw a ton yesterday, but I think it's worth at least mentioning. The last thing I want to talk about is the action that's happening in the video doorbell space, the smart doorbell space. This space is heating up like mad, folks. Um, this is a space I've written about quite a bit. Uh, I've been talking to folks like Andrew Thomas over Skybell. Uh, Jason Johnson over at August, which just released their doorbell, which is really kind of the, the reason why I want to talk about this, because this was released. And also Ring, which used to be called Doorbot, um, raised a ton of money. So uh, we have the big security conference coming up in Vegas. Uh, Julie Jacobson did a nice little review of a lot of the action there. But we certainly have a lot more doorbells coming out. I've been using the Vivin doorbell for some time. Um, I talked to those folks this week. They are selling that that product like crazy. It's actually their number one smart home product in terms of like demand right now. So they're selling a ton of those. Uh, you have August coming out with their doorbell that's pairing with their smart lock. You have two gig coming out with their doorbell pretty soon. So I think it's going to be an increasingly competitive space an increasingly crowded space. Uh, right now you have a, what I would call really big, four big players in August, Skybell, Ring, and Vivint, but it's going to get increasingly competitive. If we look at two gig, owned by Nortec, that's a company that supplies, supplies a ton of equipment to big home security providers and smart home managed smart home service providers. So uh, I definitely think that pretty much every smart home company um, and managed smart home company, if you're like a service provider, are going to be offering a doorbell. And the reason I've always thought this and have written about before why this is going to be a popper category is it's just one which just makes so much sense. If it's at the front door, you can see it's at the front door. I love mine. I love uh, the Skybell, like the Vivint one. Because when I'm away from home, and not only can I see you at my front door, I could talk to them. I like, can see when my kids come and go. Um, and it's one that's not inside. There's a real factor with inside the home video right now. I think that a lot of consumers are getting creeped out about this idea of video running in their house. So I think that doesn't apply to the doorbell. So if you have a doorbell, um, it's outside. You know it's at your front door, which is usually the front point of entrance for anyone coming. Even if they're bad guys, they're usually going usually gonna to knock at the front door see who's there. The reason I like the Vivint one, actually, is part of the reason is it actually looks like a doorbell, which is actually pretty cool. Most people who come don't actually, can't actually tell it's a doorbell or a video doorbell. They just think it's a normal doorbell, so I think that's important. But it'll be interesting space to watch with all these different new doorbells coming out. It's an interesting category to watch. We'll have more writing about that over at Next Market, so keep an eye out for that. But that's it for my update. I want to just wanted to catch you guys up, wanted to... Do a quick podcast. Hopefully we'll have some more regularity in the podcast over the next couple of weeks. If you want to subscribe to the Smart Home Show, um, you can do that on iTunes. You can do it at technology.fm um, or just any podcast by really. Just find out, do the search function, look for Smart Home Show. I appreciate you guys listening. I've had a lot of great emails. 
and interactions with folks who listen to the show. I talked to a, a few of you at South by Southwest, which I had a lot of fun at. Um, and I will be at IoT World in May. Um, so uh, I'll be down at that. I'll, I will also be at the Connections Conference in May. There's two interesting things going down in the Bay Area uh, for IoT and Smart Home. So if you listen to the show, want to connect, we could connect down there. But overall, thanks for listening, guys. I really appreciate it. And now here's my conversation with Richard Gunther of the Home On podcast, which you should also listen to. And I hope you enjoy it. Well, we managed to find a quiet corner at the Driscoll Bar in the Driscoll Hotel, one of the classic hotels in downtown Austin where South by Southwest is happening. And I am here with Mike Wolf, who is in town to host his South by Rocks, the Smart Home Mixer this evening. Looking forward to that. We're going to be talking with a lot of great people there. Yeah, this is great. This this uh, venue, the Driscoll Hotel, is a really classic old hotel. I love it here. I stumbled in here last year at night, bumped into Ryan Waller when he was with TechCrunch. I used to work with Ryan at Gigom, and, and just uh, I've already found him. I've only been to South by once. Every little place is triggering memories for me. <laughs> you come all the time, though, right? I do. I am here every year. I've been here for the last, I think, six or seven years. And what's been interesting to me and, and exciting for me is I think last year, with your session and some of the other panels that were focused around smart connected technology and IoT was really the first year that we started to see an interest in IoT here in the interactive part of the conference. This year, there's all kinds of stuff going on. There's at least a dozen sessions on connected vehicles and smart city ecosystems and smart communities, which is something that I'm very interested in, my company's very interested, something we're doing a lot in the smart home space. There's an entire section on the floor with smart kitchen vendors. This is really taken off here. Yeah, that's Brian Frank behind that. Brian was involved with my Smart Kitchen Summit. But thinking back on the history of South by, at least in kind of the modern world around interactive, it's been very much uh, tailored and targeted around social media launches. I think Foursquare launched here maybe going back eight, nine years ago. I think uh, just last year, remember last year? This seemed like a, an eternity ago. It was the era of live stream video with uh, uh, Meerkat and Periscope. Meerkat and Periscope. And I think Meerkat literally went through an entire company like launch. They peaked, and then they're down in the trough already, and it's just a year later. Well, and I remember that distinctively. I feel terrible for them because they kind of announced here, and within days, Twitter came out with its Periscope acquisition and basically trampled Meerkat. And I know there are Meerkat users, but it is kind of interesting. We see stuff come and go here, and we see a lot of stuff launched here. Some of it sticks, some of it doesn't stick. But I think what's interesting is this is kind of not so much an incubator, but a showcase for things that are coming up in the tech space. Yeah, and I, I like you. I'm really excited to see more IoT. It feels like because we're in this middle of this IoT in hardware renaissance and there's obviously been been a little bit of a contraction in the broader market which is interesting to see it expand at the same time here at south by i think that's interesting i'm interested to see where it goes so i'm excited but i want to talk to you a little bit about what you've seen because just to let the folks know on the podcast i got in here just yesterday i'm doing a barnstorm barnstorm tour but you've been here for the almost the extent of the whole thing since you got in last thursday you saw hardware house anything cool you've seen there's a lot of cool stuff 
I had a chance to speak with Phil Robb, one of the folks that you had on your show when we were all live at CES. He's one of the co-founders and the chief marketing officer for Beta. Beta actually has an entire mini store set up in the hardware house where they're demonstrating what is, they have. He is the best hair in all the Smarter Ministry, I think, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's rocking the look for sure. Absolutely. He puts us all to shame. And then we'll be talking with Yonomi later, too. Yonomi is a small company that we saw here last year, and they were occupying a tiny little corner of a room at the WeWork space in one of the mixers that was here last year. And now they had an entire room full of demonstration and, and talking about their new products. So they have some great new stuff going up. Like I mentioned, there's a lot of smart kitchen stuff here. I, I think you're probably familiar with everything that was here the company that has a modular cooker, including sous vide and hot plate and everything, they're here. I forget their name. I apologize for that. Pico Brew is here showing off their stuff. One of the bar companies is here. So there's a lot going on there. Also, like I said, the sessions have been really interesting. I, I attended a session today about IoT policy. You know, we're getting to a point where we really need to think about consumer protections. And, and in this age of many people, particularly in the tech space, wanting encryption, wanting their data secure, how, on the other hand, do you secure and guarantee that the information our devices are sharing about us from our homes are sharing information appropriately. There isn't really any watchdog, and if there were a watchdog, how would they know that? So that's an interesting discussion. That's part of what I love about South by Southwest is the discussion around the technology that happens here. Yeah, a lot of the stuff seems esoteric in nature, but it always seems like that's what we need, and we need those kind of conversations. I feel like the IoT and Smart Ministry, the technology is much further ahead of the policy and the business side of it. And so uh, that, as often is often what happens. So in a way, it kind of worries me that you're going to maybe have the government get more involved or whatever and kind of maybe bring everything to a grinding halt in terms of advancement. But another, on the other hand, it's very necessary. So those conversations are very good. What are, so what I like about Austin is not only is South by here, but there's a lot of smart home startups. You had a chance to talk with Yanomi, and I just swung by their office at WeWork. Uh, what do you think of those guys? I think it's really interesting as a hubless solution to pulling things together without necessarily hitching your wagon to either what Google's doing or what Apple's doing in this space right now. There are other solutions that are similar to what they're doing. Musly is the first one that comes to mind. And I think they probably imagine each other as direct competitors. But I like what they're doing. I really like some of the features that they came out with and, and enhancements that they came out with for their product at the show this year. So I think they're doing great stuff. And what's great about, you know, there's room for a Musly and a Yonomi mm-hmm. and, and if this, then that, and uh, yeah. whatever other tool that's out there. People are going to like different tools for different reasons, and I, I'm, I love that they're doing well. I like what they're doing, too. I've been predicting the kind of the rise of the smart home super apps for a while that aren't connected to the hardware, and we need that. I thought at some point HomeKit would be kind of a, a catalyst for that, but it hasn't necessarily been. But I like that these guys are rising up independent of an ecosystem and maybe stitching together a lot of this. I think, you know, you mentioned IFT, IFTTT. I think, like, that also would be viewed as a competitor by these guys. But I'm really excited about what they're doing. I think it's necessary. The scene layer that they've created, 
and then the notification layer that you can do without necessarily having to open your phone. I think they announced that here. That's all really cool stuff. Yeah, really good stuff. Oh, and I really can't leave Boston without mentioning that there's great barbecue here everywhere. Have you had some <laughs> barbecue while you've been here yet? I've been to the Moonshine. That place is pretty good. We also had some great uh, Indian food down in the, what's the place with all the old houses? Oh, yeah, I forget. That it, there's a neighborhood kind of behind the convention center that has these old bars and houses. Yeah. And now a big, huge condo building and a Kimpton Hotel. So I think the charm is going to be changing, but yeah, exactly. it's still pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, just in the last year, I think some of the houses have been torn down. But that's a charming little district, if I can ever think of the name of it. But uh, another company based in Austin is Wigwag. And I don't know what's going on with those guys. They were one of those early crowdfund smart home companies, had a lot of promise. I think they were promising building around 802.15.4, 6 Lopan, which was one of the interesting things. They also promised using JavaScript as a smart home programming language, which I don't think anyone was talking about doing that. So I'm interested to see what they're doing. Have you caught up with them lately? I think the last time that I spoke with Wigwag was at Cedia 2014. At the time, it almost seemed like they were not so much pivoting as diversifying so they could get some product out and get some capital. I think if I remember correctly, they introduced a light bulb. I questioned why they were doing it, and I think part of it was that they wanted product out there so that a name was out there. In the meantime, they had been pursuing partnerships with companies that they would be kind of the engine that could be included in others' hubs or others' systems. But... I, like you, kind of wonder where they are. You know, we're not actually seeing them out there yet, or at least we're not seeing their name out there yet. And as many of my listeners know, I've worked on software and I've worked on on home control stuff myself. And one of the things that we realized is, hey, we just got to get something out there. And then we'll work on building it out. Sometimes it's just a matter of trying to survive. And I imagine getting a product out there to get cash flow going was part of that. But here's the thing with this industry is you may announce something on Kickstarter or whatever, and if you miss by 12 months, the industry's passed you by. And, if, and this is an industry that will pass you by so fast, it's particularly that era when they launched. They wanted, I think, to be kind of the system you could build around. I think that boat may have sailed at this point. So I don't know uh, if they haven't shipped yet what's going on. But we've seen this time and time again. It's just the danger of hardware crowdfunding. So I'm interested to catch up with them. Maybe I will while I'm here. But I also want to talk to you a little bit about the news of the past week or so. Because there's been a lot of interesting stuff happening. As you know, I think everyone is maybe a Sonos fan. Of all the connected devices in my household, that's been the one that hasn't turnover i've had a sonos for probably 10 years now um, i have the old sonos the first time they came out with the standalone speakers i got that right away for the first time ever they announced the layoffs i talked a little bit about this on my own podcast by myself on a solo show i just wanted to get your opinion on that what do you think of that i mean i was a, i was a little bit surprised but at the same time based on what he said and just uh, to kind of ramble a little bit further there's an article that came out just today or yesterday, where John McFarlane was interviewed by someone, and he said the wireless speaker market overall, he believed, was down. They were about flat, but stayed revenue positive. But they, he felt the big reason for that was the Amazon Echo, which I thought was really interesting. He's being so transparent about this. It's obvious that they've been impacted by the Echo. I'm not surprised that they've been impacted by the Echo. Even at Cedia, I think people were asking, well, 
are there microphones in this brand new speaker that you're talking about? Are we going to use them at some point? And rumors are that there are microphones yeah. in the new Play 5, but who knows what might ever be done with them. At this point, we might have a little bit of a better idea, but I think there are some interesting points here, some of which I think are interesting and hopeful, some of which are a little frustrating to me. I like that they're thinking about the fact that they want to focus on getting the best streaming experience that they can out to people and thinking about how Echo's doing it with this voice response capability because I really want to see voice built into a network of devices that you're already putting around your home. Now, obviously, now with the dot... Dot, dash, and what's the... There's like an... And tap. tap. Dot, dash, and tap. It's like a Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, it's crazy, but... There's obviously a bigger plan on Amazon's side, too, but they keep that all very close to the chest, and so we have to kind of imagine how that might play out. You've done a lot of analysis about what they've been doing, and you've been doing a lot of writing, thinking really forward and showing that, in fact, they have a forward plan on what they're doing in the home. I think Sonos was caught a little bit with their pants down on that one and figured that as the perhaps lead in multi-point audio quality, they were going to be fine and they didn't have to worry about this. And I think the reality is that they do have to worry about it. So I want to see them go in that direction. I think that's a great thing. As someone who still has ripped CDs with content that I cannot stream from anywhere, I still hope that I can do that. I don't want them to abandon that. So, you know, when I hear them say things like we had to lay off some resources, I hope that's to make themselves more lean and not just thinking, oh, well, we need completely different, you know, we'll get rid of this department and bring in a different department. From a human resources perspective, that bugs me because I like the idea of trying to build skills and capabilities within your organization. Yeah, that's a great point. As you're talking, uh, you talked about how they're caught maybe a little bit flat-footed or with their pants down either way. (laughs) Both are great visuals. (laughs) So I wrote an article this week about how the Echo is, to me, a little bit of an analog to the iPhone, the way the iPhone disrupted the phone market. And some people said, well, it's not as, of course it's not as pervasive, but the way it's making people in the smart home rethink the way they're approaching the market, I think it has a lot of similarities. And so it made me think, as you said, that maybe, and I don't want to stretch this, this uh, analogy too far, but in, in a way, in the same way maybe BlackBerry or RIM got a little bit too sure of themselves before the iPhone, I think maybe Sonos is a little too sure of themselves before that go. Because when you create a category, and I, and I would argue that, at least in the U.S., BlackBerry RIM really kind of defined the smartphone category for a long time. You kind of get a little bit, I don't, you maybe get a little bit too confident. And I think Sonos had a good reason to be confident. I felt like they created that wireless audio category. They were really, I think, the defining product in the connected entertainment space by far. And they were the first one to really do app-based control of a device in a good way. That builds your confidence. I mean, you're getting all the girls at the party. And when the new guy, the new guy moves into town uh, and he's got bigger muscles or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm very into weird analogies at this point, Richard. But uh, I feel like there's a similar there's similarities there. Yeah, I think so. I'll be eager to see where they go. I hope they're as transparent as they start thinking about their new roadmap. They don't have a history of being terribly transparent about their product roadmap, and there are good reasons the companies don't do that. But after having kind of given us such a clear vision of what they're thinking right now, uh, you know, I, I hope we see that kind of transparency going forward with them. So I also wrote another piece. I just write too much about this stuff, but I feel like Apple 
and Sonos would be the perfect combination. Like, it's so peanut butter and chocolate to me. Those guys together could take on Amazon. Um, As in acquisition. Yeah. I mean, I know that John McFarlane, the CEO of Sonos, is fiercely independent. You know, he's, he wants to establish an iconic brand. I understand that. But together, those guys, that's a world-conquering combination. If not, like, that kind of puts them almost on par, I think, almost instantly with Amazon. Because you could integrate Siri in an amazing way into Sonos. That would be very, very powerful. It would also give Apple an amazing in-house device. Because I don't feel like they have that with Apple TV and quite frankly, I mean, they just, they've done the integration with Apple Music, so why not just take it one step further? <laughs> I wonder, though, if the Beats acquisition makes that a little harder now. They already have a brand of speakers, arguably not great speakers, but maybe this might appeal to a different market if they were to bring this in. But yeah, I've, I've always agreed with your sentiment there that that would be a good combination. I think that'd be really interesting. Now, there's... Another story that I would normally not want to talk about. I'm assuming you know about this. I don't have notes in front of me, so the name of this thing escapes me. But there's a Kickstarter project for a new multifunction oven. It scans products that they send you as a food service and then steams them or cooks them with convection or varying cooking means, and then, boom, you have a fresh meal. And it's something that piqued my interest so much that I pledged to buy one. Are you, are you serious? The company's called Tavala. I think they're tapping into a couple of different uh, zeitgeists, if you will. Um, obviously, the connected kitchen seems to be getting hotter, the smart ovens. But also, like, adding in a subscription food component to that. I mean, everyone in the connected world has recurring revenue fe- fever, they want to figure out a way to kind of go beyond that initial hardware sale. I feel like creating an ingredient ecosystem the way Pico Brew is really smart. I don't know if like forcing people to buy your your prepared oven meals is necessarily, to use the word recipe, <laughs> for, for success. I don't know. I, I mean, I have to think about this a little bit more, but it feels like it's a little bit of a forced idea. I do, I do think there's something there integrating from a connected kitchen standpoint with these meal delivery services. So if you're a Blue Apron or if you're uh, plated, I know that they're looking at Smart Kitchen and saying, how can I work better with these in-home connected devices? But if you're the guy doing the Kickstarter device and also trying to do the subscription meal plan, ingredient plan, I don't know. That seems like a lot to do. So here's why this appealed to me. And this is one of the things that I think I mentioned when... I was moderating one of the panels at the Smart Kitchen Summit, which is that I don't really want to get all excited about the cooking process. I generally don't have time for it. I'm not a cook, so it's not something that interests me terribly. But I know that I have terrible eating habits if I'm left to fend for myself. And so my typical lunch is a lean cuisine frozen meal. And that's terrible. So if I can do a little bit better than that, if I have a means of quickly and easily preparing a meal from something that's been shipped to me frozen or refrigerated and actually get some fresh food, I'm all about that. Yeah, it seems to me you're one of those people with more money than time. And, <laughs> no, and, that's, and that's not an insult. It's like some people, you're trading one for the other oftentimes. And a lot of times I want a good meal, but I'm too lazy to make it. I've been doing blue apron for a long time or at least the last six months and uh, sometimes it's a it's a lot of work like what what drives me crazy about the blue apron is it says 15 minutes of prep time never more 
45 minutes later, I'm still preparing all the stuff. I just got the oven turned on. But, yeah, if you could turnkey something to where you feel like you're preparing, it's, it's real prepared food in your house, and it's kind of automated to a certain degree. It's kind of pre-measured, et cetera. I think there's a certain appeal to that. There's going to be a continuum of choices. I mean, from Blue Apron to what you're talking about, this turnkey oven. I just don't know if you need the oven integration to do it. I feel like what worries me is you're going to be trapped in a piece of hardware than if they go out of business. What is the meal plan? I mean, you, I guess you'll have an oven still. Right. You still have a multifunction oven that you can use for whatever you want. So, If I were advising them, I'd say well, do the integration with all sorts of meal services rather than doing your own. That's what I would think. But And I think that makes sense. I hope that they do think about reaching out to other manufacturers or maybe even getting to the point where if you buy some prepared food or, or even frozen food that they can do some bar scanning and it knows how to set things up for you. That would be a nice feature, too. All right. Well, this was good to catch up with you, Michael. It's been, I think, since Seattle that that we've had a chance to talk. So good to have you on again. And I think I'm going to go out and see who else is showing here. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And we did it here in in such a great hotel. And I'll see you in a couple hours at the party. So uh, I'll buy you a couple drinks. All right. That's good because I forgot to order beer while we were here. (laughs) Sounds good. Thanks.